the only thing that I know how to tell people is you have to want to, right? You, you have to, you just have to want, you, you can't, you can't think you, you should, you can't want to cause someone else wants you to, you can't want to, because it's going to make someone else happy. You can't want to, for any other reason than I don't want to do this anymore. And if you, if you don't reach that point, if you can't say, I don't want to do this, then there's nothing I can tell you that's going to help you. And to be honest with you, if you reach that point and say, I don't want to do this, there's nothing I could do or anyone else could do to stop you from making that change in your life. Holix.com, in partnership with Heart Support and the Global Recovery Initiatives Foundation, is proud to present High Notes, a podcast about addiction and recovery in the music industry. I'm your host, James Shotwell. On today's episode, I'm speaking with Phil Labont. Phil is the vocalist for All That Remains, an American hard rock group who's become one of the most discussed heavy bands of the last quarter century. Phil's on the show to tell me how his decision to stop drinking changed his life. Along the way, we also discuss industry politics, divorce, peach bellinis, cigarettes, tour life, working out, and much more. Phil is an amazing individual who always has a good story to tell, and I'm so grateful that he was in such good spirits for our conversation. When we first hopped on the phone, I had to start our chat the same way that we start every chat. And that's by asking Phil Labont how long he's been sober. Uh, I have not had any alcohol in, uh, I believe now it's been just about four years, I think. Um, okay. Actually, I quit drinking four years ago. And then there were a couple of times where I fell off the wagon in 2017. Or, yeah, 2017. And then the very last time I had any drop of alcohol, I believe, was February of 2018 because I had a shot with a friend and that was, and I was like, I don't, I don't know why I did that. I, I don't want to do that anymore. There were a couple of times uh, in 2017 where I fell off the wagon, but I stopped drinking daily um, or regularly, which was almost daily on February 16th of 2017 was the last time that I actually like was drinking all the time. And then I stopped and then, couple times I fell off the wagon and, and, and thought that I could control it, but I don't think, I'm not sure that I can. It, thankfully, every time that I fell off the wagon, I was able to be like, wait a minute, why am I doing this? I don't want to do this. I, should st- I need to stop. And I stopped without any kind of significant problem. Um, but it was, I guess it was me kind of learning that I can't control it or that it's not worth the risk that, that it, you know, just bad things happen when, you, when, when I drink too much, at least, uh, Personally, I feel like bad things happen. So I can't help being fascinated by the story Phil shared briefly about this last drink, having one final shot with a friend, only to realize it's something that you never want to do again. So I asked if you would tell me the rest of the story. I never, I didn't go to a, a program to quit. I didn't have to do, or I didn't do the. I'm not super familiar with what AA is like, but I've heard stories um, from people and I hear that there's a lot of of reconciliation with people that you've uh, hurt and stuff like that. I never did that. So so me quitting drinking wasn't something that I kind of told everyone in my life that I was doing. You know what I mean? It wasn't like it wasn't like there was an intervention and it wasn't like I had to go ahead and tell everybody, look, you know, 
I have to quit drinking and, and I'm going to rehab to do this and da da da. And I, I didn't have to go and make amends because thankfully my drinking was very self-contained. Thankfully it didn't affect other people. I never hurt other people in any significant way other than, you know, being a pain in the butt or, or saying something rude or, or being, you know, thoughtless or whatever. So a lot of people didn't realize that I quit. I mean, there are times when, when I tell people, yeah, I haven't had a drink and blah, blah, blah. And they're like, you were an alcoholic like that? And I'm like, yeah, I used to drink. I mean, just a, a couple of weeks ago, I was, I was in New Hampshire, or I'm, I'm sorry, I was in Massachusetts with my mom. She, it didn't really dawn on her that it's like, I'm an alcoholic and I don't drink at all. It was like, she was like, do you, you know, do you like those beers or whatever? And I'm like, mom, I, I haven't had a drink in, in, I haven't had anything in three years and I, I quit drinking four years ago. And she's like, really? You know, you, you never, and I was like, yeah. So that sets the stage for kind of we were at when, when the last time I had a, a drink, I was out with some friends. Um, I was going, we were at a, a strip club. One of my friends was just like, Hey, let's get a shot. And I kind of just was like, okay. And I think there was, there was three of us. And I think there was a girl that was a friend of his that was working, that was pouring the shots. And I was, I'd been kind of chatting up that girl. So I was like, okay, well maybe I'll just have this shot and, and, you know, just to do the social thing. And I took a shot and I was like, why did I do that? Like, I was like the reason, and I, I was like, I know the reason I thought about it. And I was like, the reason I did that is because it's a social thing. And I was never a social drinker. You know, for me, it was drinking was always a very, you know, a thing that I did. I mean, I was, al I'm alone. I was alone a lot. I'm very much an introverted person and drinking was an alone thing for me. Um, or, or something that I, I I didn't have to be around other people to drink. You know, I'd get up in the morning at nine in the nine in the morning at home in New Hampshire by myself and be like, where's the vodka? You know, just start drinking, you know? Um, so it wasn't like, it so the thing that I thought, I guess, was this isn't a social thing for me. Why am I doing this? Why did I do take that shot? And I, and I, you know, I didn't drink anymore that night and I didn't get hammered. I probably got a buzz on because it had been a few months since I'd had a, a, a drink at that point. Um, so that was, that was it. And I was just like, I, I don't want to. And that was the last time that I had, you know, anything to drink at all. Many people in recovery have a story like the one Phil just told. We spend so much of our lives consuming drugs and alcohol that agreeing to have them seems like second nature after a while. Phil's friend probably asked him for that drink and he replied without even really thinking about it. It was just what you say. Someone close to you offers you something and you agree. But the key here is that Phil realized what he was doing. He noticed his behavior, he thought about it, and he addressed it to make a positive change in his life. I don't see why I'm, like I, I can't put together why this is happening, other than someone offered and I said, okay. But it's not like I had any desire to drink, you know, and I hadn't had anything, at that point I hadn't had anything to drink in months. And I was like, I, I don't wanna do this, you know? Looking back at the beginning of Phil's journey with recovery, I wanted to know about his initial instinct to get clean. He mentioned earlier that he was going through a divorce when he decided to get sober. And as somebody that's been through one myself, I can understand the kind of darkness that comes with that situation. But I knew that there were other factors as well. I did have, you know, there were times when I thought, you know, maybe I should, maybe I should quit drinking. And I kind of always was like, what am I going to do if I don't? Like, if I don't drink, what am I going to do? And I'm like, well, what did I do before I started drinking? You know, before I started, before drinking became a consistent thing in my life. 
you know, I, I, my, my ex-wife and I separated and I knew that my drinking didn't help anything. Um, thankfully, like we'd gone to a lot, we'd done a lot of therapy and, and there were without, I don't want to get into too much detail about, you know, things that were going on with, with her and stuff, but we would go to therapy and, and our therapist was like, well, look, you know, I mean, Phil, you're probably a functioning alcoholic because you don't show up to therapy drunk. I'm like, yeah, you know, and I had, I had that much self-control where I could do things that I needed to do and I could stay sober to do the things that I needed to do. But if I didn't have anything in particular that I needed to do, then I was probably, then I was going to be drinking. You've got to do this and you have to be able to, to, you know, have a, a coherent conversation, you know, don't get drunk. You have to go, you know, be with, be hanging around family and stuff. Don't get drunk. You have to go do, you know, therapy with your wife and stuff. Then, then don't get drunk. And that was, that was not a problem, but it was all the other times when I didn't have to be, if I didn't have to be sober, I probably wasn't going to be sober. Issues that we were having kind of stuck their head up and, and it was like the, the ex-wife had, you know, she was like, I'm leaving for a little while. I was like, okay, fine. And there was a little while where things didn't quite, um, didn't quite compute, I guess, or, you know, there had been, there had been times where we would separate and get back together and break up and get back together and stuff. So that was kind of a pattern that we had. So I didn't really expect it to be, um, a permanent thing. Um, and then when I found out that it was permanent, when I realized that it was permanent, um, I found out some things that had gone on that I wasn't aware of. And that kind of hit home that I was like, oh, this is, this is really real. Like this is happening. Like th there's not going to be a, a, a get back together part like we had done. And then I was on a, I was, I found out we were in Las Vegas and I, we, we had to play a show. And again, I managed to be sober for the show. Um, but then after the show, uh, you know, all bets were off. Uh, I, I, you know, was fully jumping into the bottle, flew, flew back, um, had some, uh, had, had internet access on the, on the flight, hammered, you know, on the internet, getting into fights with people. And then I got home and I was like, we don't have anything to do. It's February and I'm essentially alone in the woods in New Hampshire. The days are real short. It's real cold and uh, I'm about as miserable as I've ever been. Uh, and I, if I keep drinking, something bad's gonna happen. R really at a low point in my life, really, really depressed, obviously. And I was like, if I keep drinking, something bad could happen. Either I make a bad decision and hurt myself or, uh, and that's really what I was most worried about was, was doing something that would, would you know, self-harm, hurting myself. And so, uh, I was just like, it's not worth it. And so I just put the bottle down. And then uh, I think I, I went from, I didn't drink for over a month. And then I, you know, fell off the wagon one night. Cause I, again, I would, I would try and dip my toe in to see if I could control it or whatever. Um, and also there were there were a couple of times where, you know, I would, I would go a while without drinking and then I'd have to speak to the ex-wife and we'd have some kind of argument or blowout or whatever. And, and then I would, you know, retreat back into the bottle. Um, and that was part of why it, was, it took me so, it took me a while to, to fully clean up. So the last, so yeah, it was, it was, it was really a decision of coherent enough to know that I, that it was a likelihood or there was a strong likelihood that I would 
harm myself. And I didn't, and I was like, I don't want to do that. I don't want to be that guy. It can be hard to explain how isolating divorce feels. All of a sudden, the person that you've chosen to spend your life with is no longer around and you find yourself back at square one. Thankfully, Phil had his band to fall back on. And with his new life decision, he had to share the news with them. I told the guys, I don't want to drink for a while. And I told, and I also, I specifically remember saying, I don't know if I'm quitting forever. I don't know. I don't want to say, I don't want to say I'm not drinking anymore. Superstitious, but I kind of felt like I don't want to jinx it. Maybe is kind of the way that I was thinking, or, or maybe it was just that I just really didn't know. Um, but I, I knew that I didn't want to drink right then. And, and it wasn't like a situation, you know, thankfully the band, we are not a band full of people that party and drink. There's really only one guy or actually at the time there was two guys that would go out and, and hang out with people and party and drink and, and stuff like that. But on our bus, there was booze, but it wasn't a party bus. Like after the show, our guitar player and our bass player are usually in bed with, you know, at the most two hours after the show. And the only reason it takes two hours is because we do a meet and greet after the show, you know? Um, it's usually like by the, like we're about to go on and everyone's like, can we please just play? Cause I'm tired and I want to go to bed. You know, it's like, it's like you, you, we're not looking forward to the hang after the show. That's not us. You know, it's like, if we want to hang out with people, we're going to hang out before the show because after the show, we're probably going to go to bed. Um, and that's, you know, that's, that's over half of us. There's our guitar player, Mike and our bass player, Aaron, they both are, are, you know, neither of them are, are really big drinkers. And, and, uh, you know, so when I was like, I don't really want to drink anymore, people are like, okay, cool. You know, and it wasn't a thing. And then the times that I did fall off the wagon, nobody was like, oh, dude, what are you doing? Are you sure you want to do this? And, and made, no one made a thing about it because they were like, well, you know, you said that you weren't sure if you were going to. And, and so, like, I think it was probably a year before I kind of even said, I don't drink anymore. Like that after... I think I said, I don't drink anymore. Once I had that last shot and, th and thought, I really don't want to do this. I don't know why I had that drink. I don't want to do this. And then I, then I finally started saying, yeah, I don't drink. You know, I was just, I felt like for the first year, I was just mostly turning drinks down. No, I don't feel like it now. I don't want to know. I don't feel like it. And that made it a little easier, I guess, to wrap my mind around. Because like I said, I, I, I felt anxiety before I quit about if I quit drinking, what am I going to do? You know, and, and I felt like if I didn't say I quit drinking and I just said, I don't want to drink right now, I didn't have to worry about what I did if I don't drink because I wasn't not drinking. I just wasn't going to have a drink right now. Phil is certainly lucky that he isn't in a band that loves to party, but rock and roll being rock and roll, there were still challenges and temptations awaiting on the road. You know, one of the things that I, I moderated my drinking on tour a while back, actually, before I quit drinking for good, I kind of stopped drinking when I was on the road, um, just because it's bad for my throat. Like it's it, it's rough to sing every night, especially the, the type of singing that I do and and be drinking all the time. I have acid reflux, so that doesn't help. You know, um, I have to take uh, Prilosec every day to to help keep my acid reflux in check and stuff. So I had kind of you know I'd kind of gotten to the point 
probably in like 2015 where I started kind of being like, okay, I just want to have like a small little bottle for, to drink and I'll, you know, I'll drink a little bit before I play and then I'll drink the rest of the bottle afterwards, or I won't drink before I play and I'll drink afterwards and whatever. So I had been kind of moderating my drinking on tour. It was really kind of at home where I would get like buck wild. Um, because again, if I had something to do, which the show became something that I had to do, I would go ahead and moderate myself and either be either not drink or just be, you know, kind of have it under control. Um, but it was after the show I'd, where I'd be like, okay, fine. I can, you know, get wild. I don't know that I remember exactly what it was like to be like, I'm not drinking anymore on tour. I don't feel like there was like a, like there wasn't like a tour that was this tour. I'm not drinking now, you know, because of the way that I guess I kind of eased off booze a little bit. But again, I didn't, I didn't have that situation where it's like, okay, I have this obvious problem and I have this obvious solution and I have to go to AA and, or go to some kind of program and, and get cleaned up and stuff. I don't, I didn't have that, the, the, that kind of clean break and that, those kind of things for me, it was like, it was almost like more of a progress, uh, like a, like a process of quitting more than actually being like I'm done and and then I have to learn to live again without all this without the booze you know and I know that that's a real thing for some people it's like if you if you have booze in your life and you're drinking there are a lot of people that go through their entire life drunk and they don't moderate and or not their entire life but you know a portion of their life the whole thing is drunk and they don't moderate and so when they change when they stop they have all these almost like new experiences as sober and for me, I didn't really have that because it was almost a moving target for me almost, I guess. One thing people new to recovery often discover is how long a day actually is. Most of us don't realize how much time we spend getting high or getting drunk until we're sober for an extended period of time. That's why finding something new to do is so important to recovery. You have to fill that time. And this is how Phil accomplished that. I went and hit the, the gym a lot. I did, especially that, that first, that first year. I mean, and, and I try to, like, I want, I want to have exercise and that stuff be a part of my life because I firmly believe that lifting heavy weights is the best thing you can do for your body. It makes your bones stronger. It, it makes your, it makes your body stronger. It makes your bones stronger. It makes your immune system stronger. It's good for your mental health. It is one of the best things you can do for your body. Um, so, I mean, I did, you know, I, I started focusing on going to the gym and, and I tell you what, at the end of 2017, I was in the best damn shape of my life. I, <laughs> you know, and I mean, I'm not in bad shape now. I mean, but that, that year I really was going to the gym and focusing and I, you know, that was literally the best shape I've ever been in. And now I'm kind of trying to get back to where I was <laughs> in, in, uh, you know, the end of 2017, beginning of 2018. But yeah, it was a lot of going to the gym, a lot of focusing on nutrition and stuff. And for me, like that wasn't an odd thing. Like I had, I've kind of gone to the gym off and on for a, a good portion of my life. Um, you know, I lifted when I was in my 20s and, and I fell out a little bit when I was in my, in my mid 30s and stuff. But then I got, you know, we, we make jokes about people that say, oh, I want to get back into it. But I got back into it. And, uh, and it's been a consistent thing, um, for the better part of, you know, five, four, five or six years now. So again, I did, I started 
kind of hitting the gym. Like when I turned 40, I was like, man, I'm going to, I don't want to look terrible when I'm like 50. And the only way to make sure you don't look terrible when you're 50 is to lift weights when you're in your forties. So I was like, I need to, to, you know, kind of focus on not letting my body look like it's as old as it is. So, but it, it, it was definitely a good, a good distraction. And, you know, I'll still do, thankfully, you know, all that remains has been such a, a, a great success for me. I have the freedom to, you know, go to the gym when I want to. And, and I, I have the, the control over my life to be able to really uh, focus on, you know, am I eating what I, what I should be eating? Am I eating as frequently as I should be eating? Do I, am I getting the proper nutrition, et cetera, and stuff like that. So um, even still, it's, it's nice to, to have that kind of thing to kind of distract me. And, and it was a, a, you know, a lifesaver when I was first getting used to being a sober person. One of the most popular misconceptions about drugs and alcohol use is that it makes you more creative. There are countless stories about rock icons drinking themselves silly or shooting up every time they have to write a new song because they felt it would make them more creative. But the truth is, that creativity and power and the ability to generate fresh ideas, that's already within you. And when you learn to create without the crutch of intoxication, that's when you create your best stuff. But it may change your creative process. I suppose so, because I used to drink a lot when I would write. Um, you know, I would, if, if we're, if we were writing, you know, a record or whatever, and, and I had to, if I was writing lyrics, I would, I would consistently write with, you know, sit down with booze and, and get tanked and write. Um, I don't know that, I don't know that I feel that booze made me a better writer. Thankfully, someone else might have a different opinion to that, but I don't know. <laughs> I'm, I'm grateful that I don't feel like I write or that the quality of my lyrics and, and writing is less because I don't drink. Because if I did feel like my quality went down without the booze, uh, I am afraid that I would jump back into the booze just to get the, uh, the product to the point where, you know, the, the art that I produced to the point where I felt good about it again. Thankfully, um, I don't. So uh, but yeah, it, it is different to not think about or to not write with booze. Um, but I've always been fairly comfortable uh, articulating what I'm thinking or feeling. Even if I'm not happy with the way I, I articulate things all the time, I'm comfortable expressing myself in songs. I've never felt like I need booze to be able to write honest lyrics. I don't feel like I, I've never been like, oh, well, if I don't have booze, then I don't think that I'm going to be able to really tell people how I'm feeling or, or whatever. I've never, I've never been shy about being, you know, very open and honest in lyrics or, or uh, in, in what I'm trying to, in the ideas that I'm trying to convey. It does. It definitely, it definitely feels different. Um, you know, I, I think that uh, being able to express and, and this is for me personally, I can't speak for anyone else. Um, but being able to express myself has never been dependent on, on a, uh, on a substance, thankfully. Um, some people aren't, aren't comfortable expressing themselves. I totally understand that, you know, especially nowadays where, you know, they say never read the comment section, um, because people are very, very quick to, 
you know, criticized and stuff for people that aren't used to that or who haven't been criticized. It can be very, very, very daunting to think I wrote this. I'm really proud of it. I expressed myself and I said how I really feel. And then to have an offhanded remark like lol garbage on you know, some, some message board. And, and to think like that, that really tears some, that would really tear someone up if they're, if they're, if it's the first time or they're, they're not used to that kind of stuff. It's like, you know, you put your, you put your, your soul on the line out there. And then, you know, some blogger who's never done it themselves just says, well, this is garbage. Mm -hmm. And, you know, just is like, and it's like, oh, well, you know, I mustered up all the courage that I had to, ex you know, expose my soul and, and really put out there the thing that I'm afraid of, or the thing that I feel. And then some, you know, person at a, a, a blog just, you know, dismisses it and says it's trash and, and whatever. So, you know, that kind of, that kind of risk isn't lost on me. Thankfully, uh, I have fairly thick skin. Um, also used to taking a lot of crap from bloggers. <laughs> As my time with Phil began to wind down, I wanted to know a few things about his current state of sobriety, starting with the last time he's been tempted and the last time he's had cravings for alcohol. I, I think the last time that I, I guess the last time that I said, hey, maybe I should was the last time I actually drank. Mm. So I haven't since then, since I was like, I don't want to do this. I haven't really been like, maybe I should. The last time that I was tempted, thankfully, it's, it's not the booze that's tempted me. Like the, the reason I want it, like when I think about like, I really like champagne, right? Like that's a, I think it's a really nice drink. I like it. I really like peach bellinis from Brio, which is this, it's this, uh, this chain suppose it's like you know it's like one step above like applebee's mm -hmm. right and it's like i'm not it's not that i care about the booze and the peach bellini it's it's like a, a frozen delicious drink and i would like to have the frozen delicious drink and if they make one without booze in it that tastes the same i would love to have one of those too because it's not that i'm after the booze um so i i don't know the, la the last time that i was tempted to have booze might even be before i had a had that last shot because when I had the last shot, it wasn't like I was like, I want to have this shot. It was me responding to a social situation. And since then and, and before then, I wasn't like, man, I really could use a drink. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I, it's not like the, the I mean, the last time that I was really tempted probably was like maybe September of 2017 is when I was like, oh, I need a drink. And I drank. <laughs> oh, boy, did I drink that time. Like, like thinking back to the situation, I, I, I got smashed that night. But yeah, thankfully there hasn't been a lot of, there hasn't been a lot of temptation for alcohol. There's been temptation for drinks that have alcohol in them because they were delicious or I like them or whatever. Um, but there hasn't been a temptation to be drunk or to have the effects of alcohol, thankfully. What Phil is describing here, I've found to be fairly common among many of the people in recovery we've spoken to for this show. They don't really think about drinking or drug use in a generic sense when they think about the good times they had. It's usually something specific. It's a specific drink or a specific activity they would do while high. It's something that made them feel good about themselves rather than just the act of feeding their addiction over and over again. And those thoughts can be dangerous, but they're not necessarily bad as long as you don't give in to the temptation that follows. Yeah, the peach bellinis, man, those things are delicious and... and 
You know, I mean, I can't say that I will never have a peach bellini again. <laughs> Man, those are good. Hopefully I will only have exactly. one because again, I don't want to get drunk. Yeah. I'm not looking for, I'm not looking for that, mm -hmm. you know. One thing we found a lot throughout our recent conversations is that the coronavirus pandemic and the isolation that it brought into many of our lives tempted people more than ever to get back into their old behaviors. But for Phil, it wasn't so bad. You know, thankfully... Like I said, for me, booze wasn't uh, wasn't a social thing, and you know, I I used to smoke cigarettes too, and I quit smoking in uh, August of two thousand nineteen. Okay. Thankfully, COVID did not did not you know knock me off of either of those mm -hmm. wagons, and I don't know I I don't know that I can articulate why. Some people will say, oh, you know, this was why or that, you know, they'll, they'll be able to come up with reasons why they didn't or whatever. And I know that's a really unsatisfying <laughs> no, answer. That's good. That's life. Um, but I don't know. I don't know. I don't know why. But drinking was never like getting back on the, or getting back in the bottle has not been something that I want. Mm -hmm. And I think at the end of the day, for me, it boils down to I do the things that I want to do. I've, I haven't wanted to be an alcoholic, you know, or not to be an alcoholic. I mean, I'm, I am an alcoholic, but I, I haven't wanted to drink and I haven't wanted to smoke. There've been times where I'm, I've, I've thought about, I've thought about smoking cigarettes far more than I've thought about drinking booze. I tell you what, I watched Joker mm -hmm. the movie with uh, Joaquin Phoenix. <laughs> <laughs> Getting through that movie without a cigarette, man. Cause every single cigarette they have looks like the best mm -hmm. cigarette ever. You know, it's like, and that was more of a challenge than going through COVID without a drink, thankfully. Um, and thankfully, I'm never watching that movie again, either, <laughs> by the way. We've discussed doing an entire series on this show about people who successfully quit smoking cigarettes. If you think alcohol is easy to find in music, cigarettes are even easier. And as Phil says, that's one thing he's determined to never do again. I mean, and, and quitting cigarettes was harder for me than quitting booze. 100% and and I wouldn't risk dipping my toes in I've quit cigarettes before and that's probably why I wouldn't risk di dipping my toe in I wouldn't touch a cigarette because if I touch a cigarette that's going to activate all that same shit in my mm -hmm. brain and it's going to like all those pathways are going to light up again and all those neurons are going to pop and be like oh I remember this you know and and so I that keep that shit away from me because there are times where I'll walk by someone smoking and I'll be like, mm -hmm. you know, like, and I'm just like, you know, I, so I can't even that, that danger will Robinson, that, that stuff is, is, uh, that is no joke. Well, I don't, I don't know if you ever smoked mm -hmm. cigarettes and quit, but like, oh, okay. So have you quit and yeah. you come back? Yes. <laughs> Cause the ones where you come back are so great. Like, <laughs> like I quit for, you know, a couple, I quit for a year one time or whatever. And, and when you come back and you're like, okay, let me, you know, I'll pop this. It's like, Whoa, why did I ever stop this? You know, it's like, yeah, <laughs> you know, you're on fire again. You're just like, man, these are the greatest things ever. Oh yeah. Those things, I hate them. <laughs> I couldn't let Phil go without asking him the same thing we ask every guest. We don't believe in giving advice at high notes. We don't know your story. It's impossible for us to understand all the motivating factors behind the decisions that you make. And the same goes for our guests. But we do believe in the power of suggestion. And if somebody were to ask Phil 
what they could do to be more like him, to live a sober life, to quit the things that are bringing them down. This is what Phil would suggest. People have asked that kind of question to me before, and it's not just about booze. I tend to get a lot of people that come to me about like losing weight or, or, or lifting weights or whatever. And the only thing that I know how to tell people is you have to want to, right? You, you have to, you just have to want, you, you can't, you can't think you, you should, you can't want to cause someone else wants you to, you can't want to, because it's going to make someone else happy. You can't want to, for any other reason than I don't want to do this anymore. And if you, if you don't reach that point, if you can't say, I don't want to do this, then there's nothing I can tell you that's going to help you. And to be honest with you, if you reach that point and say, I don't want to do this, there's nothing I could do or anyone else could do to stop you from making that change in your life. It's, it is, it's the most repeated line ever, but you're the only one that can do it. Mm-hmm. And you have to just make the decision. And it's so like the, the only thing that I'll tell people is like, when I stopped, I just said, I don't want to right now. And I did the same thing with cigarettes. Like, I just don't, I'm not going to have one right now. I might have one in an hour. I might have one tomorrow. I, again, I, I didn't go to AA, but I've heard that like the whole one step at a time. I think that that's kind of the same thing. It's or one day at a time. It's like today, I'm not going to do it. And that makes perfect sense. Don't worry about next week. Don't worry about, and when you're starting, like when you first decide you don't want to, don't worry about 20 minutes from now. Just right now. If you don't want to right now, that's it. Don't. And, and that's all it takes because your life is a series of moments. An hour from now is going to take care of itself. But right now is the only thing that you have. You have right now, and then in five minutes, you'll have right now again. If you don't want to right now, just don't. And worry about an hour tomorrow, you know, a week later. Worry about that when it comes. And that's the way I did it. I was just like, I don't want to do it right now. And right now has been three years. There was, in the first year, there was a couple times where right now meant I, or where right then I wanted to. And I did. And it was okay. Like, thankfully... I made the decision afterwards that I don't know why I did that. I don't want to do that right now. I wish I didn't do that. Right now, I don't want to do that again. But it was always coming back to the, you know, right now, I don't want it. So. I don't know what I was expecting when we booked Phil Labont, but this conversation exceeded it. Phil has a unique ability to step back and look at the big picture of his life, to see how the decisions he makes impacts all the different areas, and then to make decisions based on those changes that hopefully improve everything. If you or someone you know is struggling with addiction right now, please seek help. Reach out to us, the High Notes team, and not only will we cheer for you, but we will point you towards people that will be there for you at every waking moment. We will help you find meetings, we will help you find sponsors, we will help you find someone to speak to. As always, my name is James Shotwell. High Notes is produced by Holix.com. Our editor is Landon DeFever, and our programming consultant is Miss Laura Haggard. The music for this show was created by the band You, Me, and Everyone We Know, and the artwork was designed by the great Nick Farron. High Notes is on Instagram and Twitter. Just search for High Notes Pod. 
That's High Notes P.O.D. We're also working on new episodes. We're always working on new episodes, and we hope that we'll be with you again soon. Until then, do us a favor and take care of yourself, because you deserve it. <laughs>